1: hello all right gosh well welcome to my extra podcast the transplaining podcast with me jordan gray it's a show in which i jordan gray being the host of the podcast and that will endeavor to pull information out of my aris regarding a number of big and small and sort of medium topics, because I'm one of them people where if I don't know something, I will just make it up with a large degree of confidence. What I've done is I've shot myself in the foot a bit by getting one of the most intelligent people in the world to join me on the podcast, Mr. Paul Sinner of Chaser Fame, the chaser himself, the Sinner Man. He's going to be in here. He's going to request an explanation to two questions, and I've got to give him one, right? (laughs) Not in that respect. Oh, I don't know. I don't presume to know what he likes, but he's going to be in it, and we shall get to the bottom of it in every way. Joining me on the show today, as always, is a guest co-host. We get a bonus co-host with every single show. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by the fantastic Jodie Mitchell. Don't say nothing, Jodie. I'm still doing your introduction, right? I know you're excited to be here. Jodie is uh, the co-founder of The Lull Word, uh, a comedy collective for queer women and non-binary people of that nature and such funny people of that end of the spectrum. They write and perform as their macho Glaswegian alter ego, John Travolva, with PEX Drag Kings, with whom they won an Off-Broadway Award in 2020. That is exciting. Jodie also co-hosts cult hit podcasts, Secret Dinosaur Cult and the Drag King cast and has been a Funny Women Awards finalist. Oi, Jodie Mitchell, are you all right?
0: I'm all right, Jordan. How are you?
1: Thanks for being here. I'm fine. Sorry, not, not to answer your question right off the bat. I'm good. That doesn't bode well, does it? Your question was, how am I? And I didn't even answer it. I know, we've completely lost the plot already. Don't worry, it's good. It's exciting because uh, so I'm excited that you're here. I, what I've done, like as I say, I've invited quite a big brain onto the show. What's nice is I've also got a big brain, by my side in you. You're sort of a clever person, aren't you?
0: I'd like to think so. But then it's that thing where it's like, I'd like to think I'm clever, but maybe I'm actually incredibly stupid, but just very, very confident. Who knows? You know,
1: cogito ergo sum, It's Mm. sort of like perfectly fits because you think you're clever, therefore you are. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't be able to think about it.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: You think you're clever, therefore you are. And that's all you need in this world. I've gotten by on that for the last 33 years of my life. Didn't do much thinking when I was a baby, but I'm still confident.
0: It's going quite well for you as well. Yeah, I'm all
1: doing all right. We uh, were reintroduced right recently at the Edinburgh Fringe, where I come and done your night. That was nice. How's all that going with the old comedy and that before we meet our guests for the show? Tell me about what's going on with you.
0: I mean, comedy is exhausting, isn't it? It's tiring but it's also the best thing in the entire world. It's going quite well. I'm trying to write a show. It's that thing where you're trying to find the specific thing you can talk about. So I'm very deep in it at the moment. I'm writing a lot but it's bringing me joy.
1: You're quite a prolific writer, ain't you? You, uh, you wrote recently on sex
0: education season three. I did. So Am yeah. I allowed to say that? Yeah, you were allowed to say it. <laughs> yeah. I did, I You said imagine? it out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, I did. I wrote because they had non binary storylines. I was brought on as a consultant uh, to begin with because they take it really seriously. They really want to get it right. They like fully acknowledge when they don't have people with lived experience that they're writing about in their room so they brought me in and then yeah sort of escalated ended up writing on it that was very cool
1: I've had lovely conversations with you about your writing you take it very seriously You're a very diligent person I like that about you a lot is there anything in your brain mind and such Mm. that you think you perhaps when Paul gets in here because he's like off a quiz he's a quiz man he's a very he's a learned man I'm woefully ill-informed on so many subjects that's sort of the entire premise of this show that I'm going to give it a go but is there anything that you might be able to whack out and slap on the table, metaphorically speaking, that you know a lot about in any regard, in case he asks about it?
0: I'm going to put forward what I studied for my degree, which right. is nuclear history. I don't think that's going to come up at all. I d- it's unlikely. Right. It's very unlikely. <laughs> but I'm going to put it out there. That's the thing I know most about. Why are you so interested in things blowing up? I think I'm mostly interested in it, first of all, because it looks cool. and. uh <laughs> sure. Because it does. Yeah. Second of all, because it's really weird that we don't really think about it. There was this historian called uh, Nina Tannenwald. She came up with this idea called the nuclear taboo, where it's like because we have mutually assured destruction, like we don't, we don't ever think about it or or we'll talk about. We're like it sure. won't happen. And I was like, but that's really weird because it probably will.
1: It's overwhelming fear, it's sort of like an existential fear, so we just put it in a little drawer in our subconscious.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting.
1: Well, let's open that drawer, potentially, and uh, terrify ourselves. Uh, Coming up now on the show, well, it's only blooming Paul Sinner himself joining me in the Transplaining studio. Paul Sinner, everyone that's in the room, which is me and Jodie. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. A
2: pleasure uh, meeting the two Js themselves. Uh, oh, that's what we
1: go out as. Paul, this is a it's a real treat for me. You've been you've been a right bloody legend in my life of late. You've been so sweet to me. We met at the Edinburgh Fringe,
2: and you come well, to see my show. And I that. was lucky enough to see your show, wasn't I? What a what a mind blowing experience that was. <sighs> as someone who can barely play the piano. <laughs> Talking was, about yourself, not, not yeah, me. yeah, Yeah, very, <laughs> that's, that was definitely me I was talking about there. That's fair. That's I don't fair. think you've got any, uh, what can I say, room for doubt as to your ability on that old piano.
1: I do my about best. Do you hear what Paul Sinner just said then? That was good at my Edinburgh show, Jodie. The piano
0: bit. Yeah, well,
1: yeah. He, I think it was implied that he meant overall the experience. Oh, bad. well, yeah. <laughs> but he's very kind of you. And then you've obligingly joined us on this podcast where we ask intelligent people, learned people such as yourself. Uh, things that they might like explaining a big question and then a small question and I shall pull an explanation for you right out of my backside because that's what I do um I had a question for you you must get asked a million chaser related questions I'm not going to ask you a question you've heard before hopefully are you familiar with the dual meaning of the chaser term as a chaser yourself are you familiar with the meaning of the word chaser as it pertains to the transgender community
2: would that be somebody who chases after transgender people? It certainly but, is. You've, well, you're familiar. I you didn't realise you'd... Uh, yeah. As a particular... Well, you know, there's bug chasers in the gay communities and there are Bug and chasers? Chubby chasers. So oh. people try and get the bug, so sure. There are chubby chasers. So there are other uh, applications for the word, depending on your particular flavour and fetish. Sure. I, d- I will point out at this point, we called Paul. Paul didn't call
1: us to be on the show, so you've not chased your way here. But <laughs> no. yeah, I was just curious if that had ever come up. My next question is perhaps more of an existential one. Know when you're like a proper clever person, does it make you feel lonely sometimes? Like I I am a person who pretends to be quite clever and even that gets me down sometimes. As a person that is quite clever and is often, I assume, presumed to be of a certain um, level of intelligence above other people in conversation, do you ever feel like people keep you at arm's length for being known as a clever person?
2: No, not really, because I don't really consider what I do to be clever or intelligent. The chase is, is a parlour game, it's, it's, it's the knowledge of facts without any application or understanding or any, any evidence that you might actually understand any of the facts. I think quizzing is very much a parlour game, it's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff I know that I couldn't apply in any situation whatsoever. Ah. Uh, the names of US Vice Presidents for instance, I mean I wouldn't necessarily know who they were or what they did or what their politics were, but sure. through some sort of weird linking word game I might be able to remember which Vice President went with which President. It's a parlour game. So I don't consider myself, I don't elevate myself. No, I wouldn't presume that you would. And I'm not going to say that that everybody I meet has areas of intelligence and expertise that are beyond me because you do meet some absolute idiots in every, (laughs) some people who are absolute idiots in in, in a very universal way. Right. But I would say that 95% of people have an area of expertise or understanding or knowledge that I just don't have. And so putting yourself on a pedestal is just not what I do. Every day we need the expertise of someone who is in their own way cleverer than us. My my boiler's on the blink at the moment. Sure. And the person who needs to to fix it in a few days is not going to be able to name the Stuart kings and queens (laughs) in order, but he is going to be able to diagnose what's wrong with my boiler and sort it out in a matter of minutes. So we're, we're always dependent on people that aren't necessarily known for flamboyant displays of intelligence.
1: Well, I mean, i I've, let's go on. Well, it me. just all sounded
0: quite clever, what you just said. That's it. You see, you've shot yeah. yourself in
1: the foot because that was such a clever explanation. It's only exacerbated the situation. You've, you've put yourself on a pedestal <laughs> there, Paul. Um, you've been given the opportunity to ask a big question and a small question. Neither of those was boiler related. So you've no. missed a trick there. We could have helped you right out with that. You could have gone home and done it yourself. Um, how's about uh, you? Uh, would, would you grace us with your, your big question? What's something that you would like transplaining? Uh, myself and Jodie will give it our best effort do it go well for
2: it. with the caveat that i had no idea what jody had a degree course in <laughs> my big question is is nuclear holocaust inevitable
1: now that blows my mind that this is the god's honest truth we literally asked paul for what question he'd like to bring big and small and then found <laughs> out after the fact that jody's got a quite a lot of experience in that space how do you feel now that that was the question
2: posed jody
0: i mean it's always nice to get to Talk about the thing that you obsess over in your own head.
2: If either of you two could ask me about British athletics in the 1980s, that would be great. <laughs> that would be like a
0: fair exchange, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. I felt like such a wanker when I replied about it because obviously it's not the point of the podcast to have any information on it whatsoever. So I did feel like I was somewhat undermining the purpose of it. But everyone's been very accepting of my nerd knowledge. Yeah.
1: I'm excited because this so is. So what's a- the answer then?
0: <laughs> well, oh, it's, it's a big question. It's a big it is, question, Paul. isn't yeah. it? I would say the answer in a nutshell. We should delve into it further, otherwise it would just be the end of the podcast. But <laughs> um, in a nutshell, I think it's quite likely that it will happen and we'll all die horribly. But that's always an awkward thing to say. So maybe we should talk about it more and we can have some levity around our horrible death.
1: To offer balance, I don't think it's going to happen at all. Let me tell you why. You've heard <laughs> of the old philosophical principle of Occam's razor. Of mm. course, the simplest explanation is usually the correct one. Got my own take on that. I don't know, I'll call it Occam's Toothbrush as a placeholder. Yeah. Usually the most boring explanation is probably the one that is the real one. The thing that's going to happen is probably the most boring one. It's a very fantastical idea, the idea of a nuclear annihilation. We all know what it sort of looks like. And dare I dare say I've sunk hours and hours into into very immersive video games on the subject. Mm-hmm. But that's all fantasy, ain't it? Because, of course, we'll just figure it out. We'll be diplomatic. And pe- it's more likely that everything's going to get really either really hot or really cold really slowly then everything actually blowing up and i know that to be a fact don't challenge me on it jody because i know more than you about it and
0: i won't i'm gonna go
1: with what jordan said what i would like to know paul is um why why is this on your mind why Mm. have you been thinking about? it's
2: always on my mind i grew up in the 1980s when it was on everybody's mind russia and america and this that and the other and then we had a sort of gap where we stopped worrying after gorbachev and Gorbachev came to power and the Russians didn't seem so bad. And guess what? They really do again. It's not just the Russians. It's the extremely religiously motivated and the almost unique narcissism of Kim Jong-un. That means that people who are fundamentally bad people have access to that button.
1: If that's what you think, what about this fact, what I already know? Yeah, go on. That is, there is no proven defence against nuclear attack despite many efforts to try and do so. Instead, states rely on a policy known as mutually assured destruction. Now, that to me sounds like a familiar premise that I know, which is, don't bomb me, I won't bomb you. Is that something you worry about, Paul? Do you think that we're in a good position? Do you think people like us enough to not bomb us? Well, I'm I'm
2: worried about the fact that there are people that don't care about mutually assured destruction anymore. (laughs) There were two sort of avenues. Uh, One is uh Religious fundamentalism and the other is the cult of the personality. Hmm. And that's why I mentioned, say, Iran, North Korea, and Putin. Hmm. Those are the three that have one or or the other. Those are the people I think we, we know that, for instance, Japan's almost suicidal aggression in the uh, Second Wars was, was basically down to a worship of Hirohi, uh, the Emperor Hirohito. And it's when there's that level of collective madness. That's when you think, is someone actually going to push that button?
0: It's interesting you mention Kim Jong-un because North Korea did a little test over Japan. And the last time they did that, uh, it was because they were about to do a nuclear test. They tested like a non-nuclear missile and then they did a nuclear test a bit after. And Japan really freaked out. They had to like notify citizens to take cover because they didn't know whether it was a test that was going to go over Japan and into the ocean or North Korea were actually bombing them.
1: So who are the big players, Jodie? Because I know.
0: We care about Russia in the West. Russia's the one that we're really freaked out about. And I'm I'm guessing your experience growing up and like being around in the 80s, where people were really freaked out about Russia. I was really surely. freaked
2: out about all the TV and films that were being made about it more than anything else.
0: <laughs> oh, like Threads and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly, and the, yeah. the, the
2: Day After, the American version oh, of Threads.
0: I haven't seen The Day After. What, well, what's the vibe? Te- I'm guessing te- negative.
2: Te- fairly negative. There's yeah. no great utopia that emerges from the debris. <laughs> um <laughs> I suppose on a bigger scale, what I'm wondering is whether we should spend, as individuals, uh, more time embracing life, given the uncertainty of how quickly and how suddenly it could end. Mm. I like and,
1: that. That's appealing. So yeah. that almost makes it worth it, the old apocalypse. I'm into the love and such. That I've, I've got a, a, a expertise in that area. Do you feel perhaps equipped, Paul, to deal with an aftermath in which you are unharmed, but the world has no not really no
2: nobody's gonna need a quiz night at that stage i don't know maybe
0: maybe the chase is the thing that will get us through the
2: apocalypse i suppose that was the big story of the pandemic wasn't it everybody's having a quiz exactly we've gone through that so maybe post nuclear (laughs) holocaust there'll be more articles written about how everyone's back into quizzing again you are you've got a quiz on tonight paul that's
1: uh sort of foreshadowing a little bit like your, your quiz you've got a quiz, a your quiz as many
2: quiz ch- a quiz as many uh tuesday nights as possible i tr- I like to quiz up in london somewhere so i'm in a team in something called the quiz league of london which is the best description uh five aside for nerds is how i describe it <laughs> in that in there the are league tables and statistics and and, and results uh, that go online and match reports and this that and the other it's also where i met my husband oliver so it's it's it means a lot to me, the Quiz League of London. My team, we won one year and it was like one of the biggest things. I still try and play as many games as possible. It's busy, busy schedule com- comedy-wise. It it's not always as easy as that. But today I've got a night off. Nice. Keeping match fit is Keeping probably quite fit. important, I imagine.
1: Mm. I quite like the use of sporting analogies in a quiz situation. It's not what would naturally come up for me. I'm not the best with sporting analogies, but blurring those two is quite sweet. The 5 aside nerds, staying match fit, it's yeah. a lovely image. Match yeah. reports
2: as well. They go on for quite a while. Sure, I imagine.
1: Jody, how might you fare in a post-apocalyptic world?
0: I think I'm quite well equipped for it in terms of why. Well, because I, I like my dissertation was on how to how to survive it basically because it was on public civil defence information in the 80s, which hasn't really changed since then. <laughs> so like I know I know how to like make a little shelter uh, to sit in out of what. Well, the official advice was to make it out of like stuff that you could find around the home. So you were to... <laughs> it's really stupid. It's like all the... very Blue Peter all of a sudden. It's so Blue Peter. And I mean, it, it, like they predicted that 85% of home shelters would collapse on impact. So you'd probably die anyway, even if you'd made a perfect little shack. It makes you feel better that you've,
1: you've got that wad of a dissertation to carry with you into the.
0: Oh yeah, it's I but I, I did anxious. bring it with me. You did because I thought I did. Yeah, because I thought just for legitimacy. Oh yeah, it's like oh, good right. to have it, isn't it? I just don't have any like...
2: mementos of anything. anywhere. <laughs> I'm really impressed.
0: Why, well, I, I, I when I was messaging about the amount of obsession I have with it, we were like, it, it would be good to have um, proof of the obsession. Could I... Please, I right? please. So
1: this didn't make quite the wad that I thought it would do when you hit the no, table. No, it's so I'm only twelve thousand. Just in case, it's yeah, only yeah, a twelve thousand
0: yeah. words in it. It's only a little twelve thousand. There's all sorts
1: of words in here about the apocalypse. Paul, do you feel that we're getting anywhere close to an explanation that that you're happy with? Because we don't
2: want anyone leaving feeling like we haven't answered their well, question. Well, happy's a very strong word given the <laughs> subject matter. I, I think happy might be a bit too strong, but I'm interested, mm. JD, fundamentally agrees that yeah. it's likely.
0: Well, do you feel it's likely? You come I feel this, like, that it's, it's likely. I
2: think that the, in, insanity uh, in the in the brains of people in power is is, mm. is greater than it's ever been.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think that the way that the history of mankind has operated is that these wars get bigger and bigger and bigger and so many wars have been at the behest of one insane person uh so i think but well, the question is not because we can't do anything about it yeah the question is do we live our, should we live our lives differently given this situation and i think that's
1: perhaps more pertinent when you look at a time frame because really like you've got twelve thousand words here i've read them all just now and it's very impressive i not i didn't, it, I didn't yeah. quite get to the point where it said when it's likely to happen. What sort of a time frame do we think we can give Paul? She's probably waiting on an answer for this. Well, midday?
0: Yeah. I'd say like around midday soon. Today. Yeah. Right. When are we recording? Yeah. I mean this would be quite this would be quite a good place to be if there was
1: I'd almost wouldn't mind. It took
0: was...
2: quite a long time to open the two doors into the studio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is a good sign for a bunker. I yeah. Mean, yeah. we're in yeah. quite a safe space that it took us that long to get in here. Raiders Going to have a right, I'll go with it.
0: Yeah, we should get more coffee in.
2: By the way, uh, apropos of this subject, (laughs) the day that the Queen passed away, the first rumours that something was up was when somebody walked into the House of Commons and gave some politicians during Prime Minister's Question Time a piece of paper with some information on it, and they went white with worry. Mm. And there was speculation on Twitter that this was either the Queen's health or Putin was about to nuke us. Oh so we we do actually we do actually live in an era now where there's speculation that it may happen, which yeah. feels I mean I know that the Cuban missile crisis in the 1960s was the big one where everyone thought they were going to die. Uh, but it feels a bit like this it feels that like we're not as far away from there as we think we might be.
0: Yeah, well cuz you said that it, it was very worrying in the 80s and then there was like the détente and it felt less worrying and now it feels more mm. worrying again. And what's interesting about it is that the most likely way that it will happen is by accident because we've got all these missiles and, yeah, Putin, Putin might just fire some at us because he, he does seem quite mental. But the the real risk is is believing it would happen. So looking at Putin and being like, that man's mental and he has the capacity to fire nuclear missiles, I don't trust he wouldn't do it, means it's more likely that we'll have a nuclear apocalypse because the technology that we have to, like detects incoming nuclear missiles hasn't been upgraded at the same rate as we've upgraded our weapon systems. so we quite often like several times a year detect incoming missiles by accident what what
1: whoa whoa yeah like, what do they think that they are
0: well when we're in a period of not thinking anyone will fire at us we usually turn off the machine and turn it back on again that's how <laughs> we know that they're not happening Brilliant. but when you believe that it could be happening you're more likely to fire because you you don't want to be hit while your nuclear missiles are still here because they'll explode as well and that'd be even worse. Embarrassing. That's two nuclear explosions. Yeah, terrible
1: embarrassment. An apocalypse of embarrassment is something I could definitely believe that the human race is capable of. Paul, your big question is... Uh, I, well, I imagine it, perplex, it, it certainly perplexed me at first, but I think I've come to a conclusion that mm. the nuclear apocalypse is a thing that may or may not happen at some point, probably not soon or later. And but thank you, Jodie Mitchell, for pitching in with those little tidbits of information.
0: I just wanted to, to play around with some made-up facts. That's nice, just, of you just to, to devil's so. advocate your greater knowledge.
1: Thanks for advocating devilishly. Uh, and now we'll be moving on to uh, audience questions, listeners' questions.
0: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
1: Listeners' questions, audience questions. Got some doozies. We'll treat this as a quick-fire experiment, and if we meander, so be it, because some of these things might require more explanation than others. Let's begin with at Twitter 90s. Why do you sometimes get a little shiver after you pee? See, I, I like the idea that that's one of those things where this person has committed to a public forum, something they believe to be ubiquitous, but actually is just specific to them. I can't remember shivering after I've peed out of fear,
2: out of thermo, anything. I, I can't... mean, I'm, I'm 52 and I've got Parkinson's disease, so mostly it's because I, I look at how much of the floor I've just hit. <laughs> sure, for so many reasons. Um, okay, well, that's po- possibly an explanation uh, that but would apply to... The, but the, the temperature of the urine as it comes out is warm. So you actually lost, but you actually you actually overall losing body heat. It's as simple as that.
0: That does make sense. I was going to go with it's the ghost of the wee walking over your grave, it, but yours the ghost is more scientific. Yeah, because it's the wee's gone now, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's died. Yeah. it's passed. It is no more. It's yeah, an next wee flushed away. Tom Johnson, how do you fix a thermostat on a 1964 Hillman Imp?
0: Yeah, that is pretty specific. But I do obviously know a lot about it. Yeah. Um, just want to check Hill Hillman Imp.
1: Hillman Imp is one of the things that you might bump into in a game of Dungeons and Dragons,
2: as far as I'm
0: concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assumed so. I'd say spit on it.
2: Paul, any advance? Uh, I can't sort out my own boiler. I'm not going to sort out a thermostat on a fictional car from the 1950s or 60s. It's... Tom, my advice is ask a grown-up.
1: Uh, our mutual friend, Vic Slayton, Do some people have legitimately bigger eyeballs than others, or is it just the position on your face that makes some people look like crabs, while others look like Disney princesses? So I'm guessing that the the question is, are eyes actually different sized or is it just the position? What I've done is I've repeated the question (laughs) in a less uh, in in a less mellifluous way.
0: I found it more accessible. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Do people have
1: different sized eyes? But is it true that babies' eyes are as big when they're born as they are when they're not born and grown up? I don't know. I I heard someone tell me once it's
0: about 70 percent.
1: That of the eye size. Yeah.
0: It's supposed to make you want to look after them, right? They're, bi- they're big eyes. But they've got eyes. Yeah.
1: If a baby comes out with eyes, anything with eyes, I want to look after it. Yeah, yeah. like, oh, I should look after that. That's good oh, I don't need to reminder. see the horrors of the world. Yeah, anything <laughs> with eyes.
2: Everyone's got different sized eyeballs. It's just the way it is. We've all got different sized everything. But there are certain <laughs> disease processes that make your eyeballs uh, more prominent, in particular high, hyperthyroidism, high levels of uh, thyroid hormone. Swell uh, the eyeballs. Yeah, well, make them more prominent. Uh, oh. It's called exophthalmos. It's it's the classic symptom of high thyroid levels. Thank you for telling Jodie that, because
0: it's yeah.
1: important that you learned that. I love I mean, the, yeah. the
0: specificity of your factual knowledge. It's really it's wonderful. enjoyable.
1: This is such a treat. Kerry Ann Coda, if you could kill any one of the Smurfs, which one would it be and why? Not quite the sort of question we were looking for, but I'll entertain the, the concept. Uh, I'd go for the blue one knowing what I know about Smurfs.
0: The only one I can remember is is Papa Smurf, but that would be taking out the Patriarch. That's probably a wise way to go.
2: <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. I just thought he'd be the easiest one to kill off as he's the oldest. I like that <laughs> thinking. It's more
1: about what you can actually achieve rather yeah. than... Yeah. yeah, just say boo. Uh, Phil Davis, why are new bedsheets colder than used ones? This one is fascinating. Right, is that something that we can agree that we all experience, that when you go to bed into new bedsheets, they feel colder than ones that have been on the bed for a couple of days.
2: Well, it's been about twenty-five years since I've experienced new bed sheets. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard, hard to imagine. But yeah, it's it's true.
0: But why? But why, Jodie? Surely that's because when you've had them for a while, they have they have more sweat in them. So the sort of um, the osmosis from your body into the the sheet is probably slower when they're already sweaty.
1: You have been waiting to use the word osmosis since we walked through that door.
0: Since biology GCSE. Yeah. I've been waiting. I haven't used it since then. But this has happened. It's my time. It's my time. I re- yeah, I reckon because it when you're sweating, it's what, when your sweat evaporates that keeps you cold, right? That's how your body cools itself.
2: I'm looking at Paul and he's not disagreeing. So, I'm just guessing that the temperature inside a plastic bag is colder than the temperature inside a, a typical bedroom. Isn't much a, I think this, <laughs> with, with the fuel crisis this winter, this question may turn, it, it turn on its head next year and mm. maybe that old bed sheets are absolutely freezing now. That's
0: true. I mean, Paul's shat on my osmosis idea, but I am No, I'm not shat, I it's just an alternative. It. Just... No, it, was a, it was a professional shitting, I think we'd all agree, that, and that's great. That's, that's For what all this I know, you're about. completely right, I don't know. <laughs> No, I, I think the plastic one had more legitimacy in
2: the s yes.
1: Liz won gold. Who's the best Batman?
0: I don't know
2: anything about Batman. My favourite is Adam West. Of course, it is. I mean, yeah. my favourite is, yeah. origi- is the original because as a kid, I just didn't realise how campy and innuendo-led it was. When mm. you watch it later, and you your but it was it's just hilarious. It's it's, it's, it's I much prefer campy, not taking himself too seriously, Batman. To the tortured soul that we have to put up with now. It's
1: all a bit emo, definitely gone a bit emo. And I was of that persuasion. I was a little goth growing up. I was a little emo. So the Robert Pattinson, it sort of re- resonates on a certain level. But at the end of the day, I just want to have fun. I want yeah. to West a rest running around at the end of the apocalypse. I don't need some moody Batman. The fact that I the quite fancied gargoyle. Robin
2: as well it did oh help. Oh, gosh. I've some yeah. Robin.
0: Do you think you were turned by Batman? Do you think it was like an early seed that went into the head?
2: I No, I, I was never turned... I think I was gay from the moment I came out of the womb, but it didn't feel like any possible turning. Batman's not but... a vampire, Jodie, is he? <laughs> yeah, so sorry. You've confused those two species.
1: One's a man, one's just dressed like a bat. That's my actually bad. actually bite people in turn. Them. That's all right. That's what this show's for. Ali Lever, if animals could talk, which one would have the best banter? Are you are you a, are you a pet person, Paul? Oh, good God, no! You don't know no, no animals at all. Keep them out. Nothing superfluous in your life. Nothing
2: superfluous at all. <laughs> all. i I like other people's pets, but uh, but I'm 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 haunted by a friend of mine, a friend of my dad's, who lived in uh, Harrogate, who for some reason had a husky. He had a husky, mm-hmm. and every time we came around, the husk, this enormous canine, would just jump into our arms and put me off the idea of pets forever. Really, they just think they're little. But, but there's any animals, so. Yeah. Crocodile. Crocodiles have incredible lives. Yeah, but, uh, they, they they kill yeah. other animals. They they big animals, but they both and they're they're easily the king of animals that live in both water and land. Apart from maybe hippos as well. Your eyes lit up when you're talking about crocodiles, Paul. Oh, <laughs> didn't I didn't know you, you It's like you want the life
0: of the crocodile. Yeah,
2: It's yeah. Not, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's my go-to if I'm going, if I'm going to see going to a zoo. Yeah. If you're going mm. to a zoo, I think that's the one I'd most want to see is it's a, a crocodile. crocodile.
0: What would you say? Differentiates the crocodile from other animals that you know might live a similar life, but that you're less interested in.
1: Wait, wait, like, what? Like, give me an
2: example. Like an alligator.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: Or any other crocodilian. Alligators <laughs> you can see in Florida. Um, oh, oh wait, <laughs> they, they live them. in the world. Of, uh, crocodiles you have to go to africa or asia to oh austria oh this 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 wow. argument is not going anywhere is it? it's about <laughs> scarcity you like but i've just realized yeah. it's just realized i'm talking absolute bollocks but species. you're doing it with
1: a twinkle in your eye for and we like <laughs> because that.
2: alligators in the wild can only be found in two countries which is uh america and china mm. so they're actually much rarer than uh crocodiles and therefore maybe i'm completely wrong and i should be going for alligators um rather than crocodiles well we've got it on record as crocodiles and I mean, I'm
1: not willing to change the records. So no. sorry, that's what you're lumbered with. Pause. Your answer was crocodile. Oh, I'm sorry, but you're going home with this lovely. <laughs> um, Mark Coxon. This is a great one because it's so obvious. And yet, why is no one ever given an answer? Why does toast always land butter side down if you drop it? Now, I'd like to interject and just say, how, are we, we're, we're, of course, familiar with the idea of hindsight bias is that the right word when basically something happens over and over again and you start to see a pattern and you exclude any other extraneous information so you drop the toast 100 times if it lands 50 times butter side down you basically just ignore the 50 times it didn't and you go oh it's always bloody landing butter side down so it's not that it does it's just that we see patterns as humans don't we uh do you have any experience of uh, in this matter that pertains have you dropped a bit of toast and butter side down
0: I, just, I feel personally attacked by the question because I'm so lactose intolerant. Sure. Even the, the mention of butter just feels insulting, upsetting. I feel gassy even hearing it. I'm mm-hmm. not the right person for the, for the question. Whereas but... I
2: love toast and I've got a progressive neurological disease oh. and despite the combination of the two, I've never dropped toast. Right. So who is dropping toast 50 <laughs> times in a row?
0: So your reply is do better.
2: Mark Coxon, do better
1: is the advice. Uh, this is fantastic. Jackie Martin, why are we never satisfied with what we currently have? Is that a position you find yourself in, Paul Sinner? Are you happy, Paul Sinner?
2: I think it's perfectly possible to be satisfied and dissatisfied at the same time. There's something inherently smug about the concept that you can't do any better than what you're doing. Sure. That, that, that surely is a negative where you go, and yet there's nothing wrong with being happy with, with your lot.
1: Wasn't it Charlie Chaplin that said the most terrifying thing I can imagine is to be completely content? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, and it might not be Charlie Chaplin, but someone said it, and I think it's worth sort of exploring. The idea that, yeah, surely that, that's horrifying. We're designed to be cold, so we move somewhere warm. We're designed to be hungry, so we move to somewhere where there's food. It's mm. a part of our evolutionary imperative, isn't it, that we we want to keep moving and growing, and that's how we meet other versions of ourselves and make little versions, and,
2: and they go on to drop toast. But it's a very interesting question because we've got three comedians... And and there cannot be any profession that more exemplifies the idea that you're never, ever, ever happy with what you've got. High five. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, I don't want to embarrass you, Jordan, but you are at the moment on fire. Which mm. like on fire. But with the, with that on fire will come all kinds of new ambitions and, and, and why can't I do this and why can't I do that? And so it is It is. It is complicated. and It's not necessarily a bad thing to not be satisfied with what you've got, but at the same time, enjoy what you've got. As well, don't take it for granted.
0: Uh, as you're in the process of being on fire, how would you answer the the question?
1: Uh, well, as an audio again medium, I do feel like it's important to point out that, that is a metaphorical description of my situation. Of course, yeah, yeah. we're not just um, being
0: incredibly calm about <laughs> very a terrible very fire.
1: About It's The wrong impero. show to be that transphobic
0: <laughs> 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 She's but, on fire. We don't burn the
1: witch.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm having a nice time. It's a very kind thing for you to say, Paul. Um, yeah, it is. It's unusual, but you're absolutely right to have something to strive for. Um, surely that's what keeps us going um I've, I've dipped my toe into the world of podcasting and so far this I think it's going all right you're both being very obliging and very very sweet um I feel as though we've answered enough questions to warrant moving on to the final chapter of this episode of Transplanting, where Paul Sinner will give us uh, his small question there are no small questions but this is a question that perhaps might have seemed like a throwaway question at the time but we're going to delve into it with just as much diligence as we did the first coming up now Paul Sinner's Small question.
2: The more I think about it, it doesn't feel that small. But the question is, is it ever justifiable to spend a fortune on a glass or a bottle of wine? Mm. Is it justifiable to splash out a load of wonga on a
1: bottle of plonk?
0: Is it? I know what you're saying. Like, maybe it's not that small a question. It's sort of a question about capitalism, consumerism. Is it, though? I mean. I mean, but it's like the justifiableness of it. It's kind of a question about what you should be spending that money on. Or are you not thinking of it that the way, The
2: more Paul? I think about it, the one justification I can find, other than money means nothing to you, mm. is <laughs> um, if wine is absolutely your passion, mm. then I can understand it the vast majority of us drink wine as an accompaniment to another sensation mm. uh, we, we either drink wine because it goes with the food that we're having sure or we drink wine to get drunk and that second occasion i don't think there's any just for that second reason i don't think there's any justification for spending a fortune on a bottle of wine because you're drinking for no other purpose than to loosen your inhibitions sure there's
1: diminishing returns isn't there on the on the drunkenness and the expense. What about if it was a taxable write-off at the end of the year? Perhaps you're taking a client to dinner and it would help you dip just below that high earner bracket, perhaps then splashing out. You can tell in real time that I don't quite understand tax. <laughs>
0: all, all well, time. I was saying there like, she probably knows more about tax than Imagine I do. Imagine Imagine if I just... That well, was my just so it
2: just so happens <laughs> that my thesis...
1: <laughs> <laughs> my 12,000-word
2: dissertation. <laughs> um, but... It, in, in a world where we're all having to economise due to the way the world is, one of my absolute bugbears is that when I go out and eat with friends, the amount of money I'm spending on what... I have well-off friends uh, because I'm a former doctor and so a lot of the time we're going out with people who are consultants or GPs and they're very well-off. And I don't always feel comfortable about the idea that £60, 70 £80 pounds of my bill is being spent on alcohol when I only came out to have a nice meal. It seems like that character at the end of Monty Python's Meaning of Life, Mr, Mr. Creosote, <laughs> yes. it, it, it seems like a horrific extravagance mm. and not really how I feel that my money should... It doesn't feel like it's how I would like to spend my money.
0: Can I ask, conversely, what you would see as the least amount that you could spend... On a bottle of wine if you were out with rich friends like what would be like an acceptable amount for you to spend on a bottle without it being sort of like i don't i don't I care about depends the depends
2: i think it depends on the importance of the occasion mm. i think if you're seeing people for the first time in a year or a year and a half or two years that's very different if you're seeing people for the first time in six weeks i mean i don't like spending more than 50 pounds okay on 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 wine at a meal, and I'm happy to spend twice that on food, because that's what I've that's what I've come out for. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you see us looking around? Every, I didn't it, know how much a good wine is, so I was looking at you to see if that was a lot or a, it sounds like a lot. It sounds me. like a lot, a lot. The last time pounds. I
0: had wine out was in a weatherspoons and it was from you know how they have it on tap course i do yeah uh, you know that and that was a great uh, no, as far time, as i'm
2: concerned if you're in a then spend a fortune on wine it's, it's <laughs> absolutely it's it's, it's abs- you're, you're there to you're, you're there to get drunk mm. um but it it just if if i mean i, I don't dine opulently very often you it's all it's always no. with people that i've known for 20 years who are now doing far better in life financially than i am uh and it just seems like a, a Bullingdonesque extravagance. It, it feels like I'm living the life of someone for whom money doesn't matter, mm. and therefore I'd like it on some on a memory that I'll. I'd like to spend that on something more tangible as a memory. Right, right, right. I would rather have three pints than a bottle of wine.
0: Do you know about wine? Like, because when I drink wine and someone asks me whether I like it, I will say, without exception, that it has oaky tones. That's well, you guess. might be <laughs> interested to
1: know that the actual, the things that affect the cost of wine, which is a fact I'm just going to pull right out of my brain right now, are the oak the time and the terroir. Terroir. Ter- ter- the terroir. That's how they say it. I um, don't, don't like, I, I'm, I'm, oh, I think be, you said it you I'm butchering the language, the terroir, <laughs> oh, exactly. uh, which is the, the natural environment uh, in which the wine is produced. Those three mm. things, the oak, the thyme, and the terroir are the things that affect the wine. So that's what you say to people, is it when, when you ask about wine, you say it's very oaky. Yeah. It, it clearly took a lot of time and yeah, I, I admire the terroir. Ter-
0: and
1: yet, I when you ter-oir. have it,
2: it's literally the second most, well, the third most important thing you're having that night. Because the first is a good time and the second is food. Mm. <laughs> so, 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 Paul Sinner, fists clenched, telling how important a
1: good time <laughs> is. is one of my favourite images. <laughs> you have a good time, people. That's wonderful.
0: I want you to go head to head with a sommelier, <laughs> tell them about the importance of the good time. Yeah. yeah. Aggressively.
2: But then, of course, one, you know, a lot of people. It's entirely their decision what they do with their money. But if you think of what you could be doing with that money, I'm going to a, a, an award ceremony next week and I will be spending quite a lot of money on a new jacket. Mm. But now that new jacket will sit in my cupboard and it will remind me of the night and I'll be able to use it again and again and again. <laughs> a bottle of wine is forgotten off a bottle of wine is forgotten after 20 minutes we
1: put i had oh yeah, just to offer you an alternative pop a little candle in the top mm. burn it let it do <laughs> thing, and then it lasts forever or oh, certainly more useful in a post apocalyptic
2: situation but i suppose a, it, i suppose the wine. bigger question is is it okay to spend a fortune on intangible things that last for very little that leave no positive imprint on your life
1: i can see why you mm. phrased it as phrased your small question as is is it all right to spend a lot of money on a bottle of wine because is it all right to spend a great deal of money on an intangible (laughs) idea or concept of happiness is quite a large question i think it's probably fine is what i'm saying as a non-drinker myself fill your boots Mm. keep the bowl Mm. because it's a nice keepsake if that's what you're worried about if you're worried about (laughs) becoming an intangible thing that's disappears a theory what's the word ephemeral Mm. It ain't this nice, nice little keepsake. Got your face on it. If it's from a wedding, put your face on it. If it doesn't, I'm giving you so much information here that you could be using. I'd be
2: really, really interested to know whether there are people out there that go, "Oh, do you remember that night? That bottle of Chablis was amazing." Where the (laughs) where the wine is the significant Mm. is the significant memory. Because I I mean, I can remember 98 of my wedding, and I certainly do not remember what whether the wine was of, good, was, was of good quality or not. This
1: is probably a paradoxical question, but what's, what's the 2% that you don't remember? Like how, yeah. yeah. I guess you wouldn't know what happened during that 2%. It was but... sort of...
2: Two, was sort of <laughs> we had about 100 songs on the playlist. It was somewhere between song 20 and 17. Right. Sure, um, okay. my, 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 I, I had to pull myself together a little bit in, the, in terms of the drunkenness, of course.
0: Right, right, course. right. Just bring yourself back from the edge. Yeah. yeah. Spend money on
1: wine, on things you like. Paul I mean just enjoy your life obviously you're a happy person you're ag- aggressively happy <laughs> and uh, take that energy out there and you know confront the next Somali you see as Jodie yeah. says and just yeah give him both barrels
0: it's, it seems like it, it's contextual in the situation really isn't it I think the, the main time that I would be okay with spending it would be like if it was a Catholic priest and they don't tell the congregation and they just slip it into the communion wine Wow! and everyone's like oh, that was a surprisingly nice communion today and it lasts ages. I see, improving yeah. the, the,
1: the quality of life of a, of a large
2: group of people all at the same time. It's the first time yeah. a Catholic priest slipping it in has improved the quality of someone's love. <laughs>
0: yeah, and we, we should encourage that the reversal of yeah. the, the norm.
1: <laughs> well, that was
0: Transplaining.
1: Thank you so much, Paul Sinner, for bringing us a big question and a small question. I feel as though we've given you some, something by way of an explanation. Do you feel semi-satisfied, do you feel 98% satisfied? I just
2: feel resigned to spending 60 quid the next time I go on a meal with my mates on red wine Sure,
1: I, I'm just so very grateful for you to be here, thank you so much for joining us. Jody Mitchell, thank you so much for being my guest's co-host and helping me uh, to explain the, the things that Paul Sinner has brought to the table today. How do you feel?
0: Oh, um, Thank you so much for having me it was, it was very fun getting in there, explaining the things, bringing peace and joy to the world, I imagine
1: Looks peaceful and joyful from over here. I'm looking at Paul Sinner. He looks
2: quite at peace and quite joyful. Well, you brought a nuclear holocaust to the world, uh, (laughs) which is a form of inner peace, I suppose. Yeah,
0: peaceful acceptance of the inevitable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Paul Sinner,
1: thank you so much for joining us. Jodie Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've been Jordan Gray. You've been listening to Transplaining. If you want a question transplained on the next episode, send an email to askjordan at off-script.co.uk It can be literally anything you like and we'll get through as many as we can. All that remains to say is thank you so much to my special guests and my special co-hosts and we shall see you next time on Transplaining.